what is your greatest sin? When I ask that question, I realize it's not a good question because uh, God does not do what we do. God does not rank sins. We like to say what sins are worse than other sins. But when we think about what is our greatest sin, I want you to think about it from the standpoint of what sin do you think that is in our lives would grieve God the most? What sin maybe has the most impact? Anybody want to volunteer to answer the question? Unbelief. Not loving people. Jesus said they'll know that we're Christians when we love. What else? Whatever is keeping you from walking with God, whatever's harming that relationship, Anybody else? Let's look at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. It's one of my favorite parables. The Bible tells us, And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him? though he bear long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, prayer isn't just something that we do as a part of our worship services. Prayer is an ongoing conversation with you that should be a part of our lives every day, every moment. A conversation that is not just us giving you instructions, 
but a conversation where we're listening to you. Father, as we look at your word, we pray, Father, that you will challenge us. We pray that you would encourage us. We pray that you would strengthen us. Father, I pray for each person here. Lord, I know that each person here is special to you. I know that you care about us more than we can even begin to understand. And you know every detail in our lives. You know every struggle. You know every sin. You know every fear. You know the good and the bad. So, Father, we just ask that you would speak. And as you speak, that it wouldn't be the same message for each person here. But, Father, I pray that you would do what I can't do and that you would take your word and apply it to our hearts in a very specific and real way. Lord, do what only you can do this morning. Change our lives, Father, through your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone in here now is expecting a sermon on prayer. And this is a sermon on prayer, which always causes me a great deal of concern as a preacher. Because I know the reaction of people when I say we need to be praying. Could it be that the hardest thing for any of us to do in our Christian life is to be the prayer warrior that God wants us to be. I was listening to a preacher. He's actually a dead preacher, and um, not spiritually. He's physically deceased. But um, I was listening to him recently, and um, he made the statement, it is easier for me to preach for eight hours than it is for me to pray for one hour. And this was a very godly preacher, one that God had used mightily throughout his entire life. And so, to be honest with you, I was a little surprised that he said that. I thought, if anybody had... Well, I was surprised for two reasons. One, because of who said it, because I really thought... He was such a spiritual giant that he wouldn't have had any trouble praying for an hour. How many of you have prayed for an hour in the past week? But I but the other thing that surprised me was for those of you who have never done it, preaching is hard work. When preaching's done right, it's hard work. It's draining. I remember a professor that I had in seminary was telling us about when he was in seminary, I'm sorry, when he was pastoring and he had had heart surgery. He was a tennis player and his doctor told him that he could go play tennis, that he had recuperated enough that he could do that, but he couldn't preach. 
And the doctor told him that preaching was the equivalent of eight hours of manual labor. Y'all are looking at me like you don't believe that. Some of you are thinking, I don't know that Brother Jeff knows anything about manual labor. But, but I promise you I do. We're not going to get into that right now. But when we think about praying, when you know the preacher is going to preach on praying, what do you think is going to happen? You expect to get a guilt complex, right? You're thinking, man, I get up so early and I have to do so much stuff and I have to be at my job so early and I've got this and I've got that and I don't know, you know, I try to pray as much as I can, but there's no way I can cram that kind of time into my prayer life. So this morning... I don't want anybody to leave here with a guilt complex. I don't want anybody to just bide your time through this sermon because you're afraid you, you, just, you just want to get out of here without feeling too bad about how unspiritual you are. I want this message to be one that is encouraging to us because it's not going to tell us even though it talks about persistence. Did you know that the only, there's only two prayer parables? That didn't want to come out right. There's only two parables that Jesus taught about prayer. And did you know that both of them were about persistence? But what I want you to think about this morning is not how often or how much or how emotionally I pray, but I want us to think about why we pray. Why we pray. There are probably people in your life that you know if you have a conversation with them, it is going to be a wasted effort, right? No matter how many times you tell them something, they're not ever going to hear it. God always hears us. But let's look at what the Bible says in Luke 18. He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. The Bible gives us exactly what the purpose of this parable is. That, that makes things a lot simpler for us to understand. We ought to be praying. We shouldn't give up. So we know that's the focus of this parable. So now, if that is the purpose of this parable, we need to be thinking about the why. What is it that Jesus says to us that's going to tell us we don't need to be weary in our praying? Verse 2 gives us the first character in this parable, and it is a judge. And that judge is someone that's described as not caring about God and not caring about man. This is not the judge that you want to be in front of. 
I had a judge in a county south of here telling me about their justice court judges, and he said, There's, we have three justice court judges. There's one that everybody who comes in front of him is guilty. So the police and the prosecutor always want it to be that judge. And then there's another judge that everybody that comes in front of him is going to be innocent. They're going to get off. And that judge is who the defense lawyers want. And then the third judge, he said, that's just a judge who gives, he applies the law and gives everybody a fair trial. And so nobody wants to be in front of him. We want to be able to put our thumb on the scale. We want to know that we're going to have preferential treatment. And the last thing that we want is to be in front of a judge that's not going to care about us. But how bad is this? This is not just a judge who doesn't care about us. This is a judge who doesn't even care about God. So this is the last person in the world that you would want to be standing in front of. This is the last person in the world that you could expect justice from. Anytime you're hearing a parable, try to put yourself back in the day of Jesus. Put yourself back in that day and think about it from the perspective of the people who are going to be listening to what Jesus is saying. He's got religious leaders around him. He's got his followers around him. He's got people who are just spectators trying to figure out who is this person? What is this that makes him so special? And they hear about a judge and they know this judge is not somebody that they want to be around. This judge is somebody you're going to expect to drop the hammer on somebody. Right? If you're about... Let's say Brother George got pulled over for a DUI. And as he's walking into court to face the judge, his lawyer looks over at him and says, I hate to tell you this, but we drew the worst judge we could have gotten. This is going to be bad. Brother George, would you have a lot of confidence as you're walking in that courtroom? Of course not. But then, somebody's calling their lawyer. <laughs> then, then, Jesus gives us the next character. And what he says is, because they're wondering, who is it that's going to be in front of this judge? And Jesus said, and there was a widow. Now, this is where we really have to twist things around and not look at it from our perspective, because if you were raised in the South, you were raised right. You were raised to treat women with respect, right? That's why every man in here will open the car door for a woman. And... Some of y'all just looked at me like, Brother Jeff, that has nothing to do with your sermon, so why did you just say that? So, but we, how do we treat widows? 
I hope it's not just because we're from the South. I hope it's because we're doing what the Bible says, that we would treat widows with respect, that we would look out for them, that we would care about them. But that's not what happened in that, that day. A woman without a man was nothing. So we've got the worst possible judge and the worst possible person to be standing in front of the judge. Now, this is not a criminal type of court. This is a court where disputes are going to be heard. But this lady comes and she says, someone is doing me wrong. I need justice. Avenge me of mine adversary. And then in verse 4, we're told by Jesus, he would not. This judge who doesn't care about God and doesn't care about man obviously does not care about this widow. He's not going to listen to her. But that widow kept coming back. That widow was persistent. That widow kept reaching back out to the judge, begging for justice. And what did the judge ultimately decide? The only way I'm going to get rid of this lady is if I do what she is asking me to do. Let me show you something really interesting. This is my favorite part of this parable. In verse 5, Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming, she weary me. I would say it as, she wears me out. It's going to get better in just a moment. Because, you know what that really means? It comes from a a word that has the the idea of a boxer. And it's just one blow after another from a boxer right about in the nose, right in the eyes. So this prayer from this widow is really like a battering ram. I was at Chick-fil-A recently, and I was waiting on my order, I did curbside, and this little girl comes out. She looks like she's about 18, maybe just finishing up high school. Maybe she's in college, but she brings my food to me as I'm sitting in my truck, and she says, I have an order for Jeff R., and that made me happy because there was a time at that same Chick-fil-A about a year before where I got my food, The lady ran off. It was kind of a rainy day. I looked at the bag next to me, and it said Shakita, where I would normally see Jeff R., it said Shakita. I thought, do I look like a Shakita? So I was glad that she was right, and I was right, and my name was what it was supposed to be. And so, you know me, I have to talk. And so I said, do I look like a Jeff? 
she said, and, and the, she took some time to think about it, and she said, no, not really. And I thought, I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> so I said, is that a good or a bad thing? And she answered immediately and said, oh, it's good. And I really didn't know where to go after that because I thought, should I be complimented or should I be insulted? She thinks I'm, I don't look like a Jeff. That could be a compliment, but it could be an insult to my name. So it maybe is both. But you know what's interesting is? This girl may have had a bad experience with a Jeff. I can't imagine that because I've never met a Jeff that wasn't just a super nice, real spiritual, great guy, the kind of person that everybody wants to be around. And I'm sure you can't think of a single Jeff that didn't fit that description I just gave you, right? So... When these people heard a widow, they would have thought this is somebody who is never going to get justice because widows don't get justice. God saw her, we're going to see in a moment, as somebody of value. How did the judge see her? A pest. A horsefly. How about that? A wasp. A boxer. A battering ram. And then Jesus says, listen to what this unjust judge says. I'm going to give her the relief that she needs. Her pleas, her prayer is going to make a difference because she is so persistent. I could care less about her. Jesus says, hear that from the unjust judge. And shall not God, in verse 7, shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? The hearers that day that we're hearing what Jesus was saying, we're thinking, this is just a widow. She will never get justice. But Jesus compares her to his elect. Jesus says, this person is in God's family. This person is a person of value to God. And that is what God says about us. God knows exactly who we are. God knows exactly what we need. God's going to hear our prayers. Jesus says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. That's the answer to the why. When I ask the question, what is 
what is our greatest sin? The first answer that I got was unbelief. That's the sin that sends us to hell. When I asked that question, I was speaking to a church. I was speaking to what may be a group of Christians. I hope we all have placed our faith in Christ and are living the way he wants us to live. But could it be that what really shows whether or not we're people of faith is how much and how passionately we pray? I want you to know this. There are some of you, you just have a loud personality, right? There are some of you that your presence is going to be known as soon as you walk into the room. And then there are some of you that you could be in the room for three hours and other people might not even realize you were there. You cannot look at anybody around you and know how you're supposed to pray. Did you hear what I said? There is not another person in your life that has ever been or ever will be that is going to be an example of how you should pray. Because we have different personalities. Some of us are more emotional than other people. There are some of you that you're going to cry, not just when you watch a Hallmark movie, but when you watch a commercial about a Hallmark movie. Right? So don't think it's how many, how loud you get or how, how many tears you shed. Could it be The real question is how into our prayer we are. What do I mean by that? Think about it like conversations you have with other people. There are some people that you know they're not going to hear you. There are some people that there's no point getting into certain issues with them. And we have the same effect in our prayer lives. When Jesus said, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? He's wanting to know, do you really believe in me? And not just believe in me, but do you really understand that I am your only option? If I was going to do what I normally do and preach two sermons in one, I would tell us to turn back about seven chapters to Luke chapter 11, where we look at Jesus talking about prayer. And that's another example where Jesus gives what we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. It's in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, but it's in Luke chapter 11. And Jesus is saying there how we should pray. And I really believe 
we can summarize everything that Jesus taught about prayer in three little phrases. First is, look up. Look up. Remember who you're talking to. Jesus wanted his hearers that day to remember, you don't have to be afraid to bring your request before this judge, before this King of kings and Lord of lords, because you are one of his chosen. You are his child. He loves you. He is going to do what you need. But remember how Jesus started the, the, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. We've talked about this before, but that was revolutionary. It was just as revolutionary as the idea of a, a widow getting justice. Jesus was saying, think of God like you would a spiritual daddy. Not just that king on a throne that's far removed from us, but one that you can be close to, one that you can cling to. Look up, and Jesus also would say, and let me say this first. When we think about looking up, we have to think about how God sees us. The most natural thing in the world when we realize who we are praying to ought to be confession of sin because we see our sinfulness in comparison to God's holiness. We remember what God has brought us from. If there's ever a verse that we ought to keep in front of us all the time, it's Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Remember what that says? Anybody? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to be good enough. He didn't wait for us to try to earn it. He saw us at our worst. And he saved us. So look up and then look out. Look out around you. Intercessory prayer, praying for one another, is one of the most important battles that the Christian can fight. So important for us to be praying for others, praying for what's going on around us. Earlier we talked about praying for one hour and sometimes we think, well, I would run out of things to pray about if I prayed for an hour. Would you really? I, I think you could probably pray for an hour just about things going on in your own life. But what about if we really... What if you said, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to pray for one hour and never ask for anything for myself. I'm just going to pray for other people for an hour. What do you think would happen? Do you think you'd run out of stuff to pray about? 
We never run out of stuff to pray about. Our world is so full of pain and heartache and suffering. There's always plenty to pray about. There's so many that need to know Christ. There's plenty to pray about. Look up, look out, and don't give up. Don't give up. Could it be if the only time we really spend much time praying is when we're at church? Could it be that our problem isn't a prayer problem? It's a faith problem. This widow had no reason to expect that her pleas were ever going to be heard, that they would ever make a difference. The child of God has every reason to believe our prayers will be heard. Our prayers are always going to be heard. We have a good and gracious God who loves us, who loves it when we pray to him, who is never wearied by us. I guarantee you, there are people in every one of our lives that when we ask them to do something or we ask them for something, it feels to them like a boxer punching them in the nose. You know what I'm talking about. There are people that keep coming to you asking you to do something. How many times when Seth was a teenager did he come home and say over and over, I want this or I want that. And Rodney finally gave up and gave him what he wanted because he knew that Seth wasn't going to stop. It doesn't work that way with Allison. Right, Seth? So, you know what I'm saying. Friends, when you're driving down the highway, God wants your attention. God loves to hear from you. When you're getting ready in the morning, when you're laying in bed during the night and you can't sleep, and then there's that moment when you're just watching TV and you really just have the TV on because it gives you something to do instead of just sitting there and you realize God's prompting me to pray and you turn the TV off and you give God your attention. Do you have any idea how excited that makes God? Chuck Swindoll often says, passivity is the enemy. Think about that. When we're passive, when we just let life happen and we react to life, when we don't have a sense of urgency, what happens? The devil wins. When God's people are passive with our prayer life, the devil wins. Let's make our prayers into battering rams, 
battering rams where it's the devil getting one punch after another. God's concern is why we pray. And that our prayers reflect our faith in him, recognizing that he is our only option. He is our only option, not just for salvation, not just for heaven, but he is our only option for every need that we have in our lives. Every breath, every struggle, every fear, every hope, God, Christ, is the answer. Let's stand for prayer. Father, my prayer is that you would strengthen our faith, that you would remind us of who you are, not just of your greatness and not just of your holiness, but of your love, your concern, your involvement in our lives. Father, make us a people of prayer, not so we can feel good about how spiritual we are, not so we can simply think, finally, I'm praying like I ought to be. But Father, make us a people of prayer because that brings joy to you and honor to you and glorifies you. Make us a people of prayer because it makes a difference in eternity as lives are changed here, as souls are saved. Father, for our homes, for our church, for our nation, Prayer is the only hope. Father, this is such a simple parable. It is such a simple truth. I want to ask you to do something. I want us to take just a few moments and I want you to ask God three questions. I want you to ask God how he sees you. I want you to ask God how he sees your prayer life. Does he see faith there? And I want you to ask God, how do you see the world around me? And how should I see that same world? Listen to the Lord as you ask him those questions.
Amen. I don't know how long we were silent just then. I didn't look at my watch, but I have a feeling it was long enough that more than one of you got uncomfortable. You probably wondered, is he going to say something else? What am I supposed to do? We don't like silence, do we? We do a lot in our world to try to keep from having to deal with silence. But I want you to remember, when you're praying, if you're praying silently like you did just then, it's not silence. Because we have our prayer being heard in heaven with Jesus interceding for us, with the Holy Spirit interpreting our groans, interpreting our heart, and a Heavenly Father who is hearing us more intimately and better than we have ever been heard in any other communication we have had with anyone else in the entire world. That's the power of prayer. It's about heaven. Again, I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to think that that is something that you can't do because God has made you. God has made you to be a person of prayer. We're not living if we're not praying. Listen to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Then you'll find the life. God wants you to be living. Anything else, Brother George? Seth? Y'all know I always do the unexpected, so somebody share a word of praise or testimony about prayer in your life. Some of you were already thinking about Sunday lunch. I guess it, on Sunday it's dinner usually, not lunch. Brother George. I, I've told everybody this here before, but the Lord brought me through a, a war in Vietnam. Uh, it was only because every morning when I opened my eyes, I prayed. And every night when I closed them, I prayed. And the reality is, friends, it's a different kind of war, but we're in a war every day. There's only one hope. 
Seth, would you say a prayer for us as we go?